Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, decolonization, cultural revitalization, and reclaiming, we go to the heart of the Yurok Nation in Northern California regarding the renaming of California State Park, Patrick's Point, to its traditional name, Sumic, also will be known as Sumic State Park. And in the second half of our program, Indigenous Education in Los Angeles County in what it looks like for the next generation. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone blue elk in the black of the night. You can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Come a honey blows to the bar who drum It's the warriors who are marching In the first segment of today's program, we go to the heart of the Yurok Nation in Northern California as the California State Parks is seeking public feedback on a proposal to change the name of Patrick Point State Park in Humboldt County, California to Sumig State Park to honor the original place name for the area traditionally used by the Yurok people since time immemorial. The park was acquired by the state parks in 1930 with the place name of Patrick's Point already in use, dating back to the mid-1800s in reference to Patrick Began, who is accused and complicit in the genocide of Northern California indigenous peoples. In the first segment of today's program, Marcus Lopez, executive producer and co-host of American Indian Airwaves, and myself speak with longtime indigenous activist and organizer and president of the Seventh Generation Fund, Chris Peters, on the movement to reclaim this traditional place from Patrick's Point State Park to Sumic, a sacred place for the Yurok peoples. Thank you, Chris, for joining us on the American Indian Airways. In this discussion, we're going to talk about the changing of the name of a place up in Northern California called Patrick's Point and the State of California Department of Parks and Recreation. And you had asked the parks to change the name to Sumic. And Chris, tell us first of all, a little about a description of the area that we're talking about. Where is it on the map and in relationship to other Native nations? Okay. Hey, well, thank you, Marcus, for uh, allowing me to uh, uh, to share this information. Uh, Sumig uh, Village and, and Patrick's Point State Park, as it's currently named, is located uh, close to Trinidad, California, and it's on Yurok ancestral land. It's close to Trinidad Rancheria, Big Lagoon Rancheria, uh, Yurok Tribe, Hoopa Tribe, Kaduk Tribe, and Weot Tribe, and many others that are 
uh, are not recognized or, or extinct for all and purposes, all purposes. But uh, we have uh, the largest number of traditional uh, communities that are actively involved in ceremony uh, in the state of California and possibly the, the United States. So we are uh, comfortable with that and uh, uh, feel great that, that State Park is finally going to do the right thing and change the name, or at least is considering it. Now, Chris, why don't you inform our listeners about the name Patrick's Began, and according to the press release from the California Department of Parks and Recreation, they were indicating he was accused of murdering numerous Native Americans, and this is part of an area or time more particularly, when gold was found in interior, interior California, the gold rush. Why don't you take us a little bit of a historical journey about that time and the possibly description of why, what happened and to whom? Certainly. You know, I think, um, uh, first of all, let's get this the name change uh, clarified. It's Sue, S-U-E-M-E-G, Sue Meg, is, is what the, the Yurok tribe is proposing to do. And that's pronounced phonetically you know the historic pronunciation or the way that we have grown accustomed is is just s-u-m-e-g uh which is now look is the village located within sue s-u-e-m-e-g state park mm-hmm. uh so it's a little confusing and uh would be glad to share some more information about that but patrick's point in general patrick's point was a very notorious man uh, uh for uh his uh, drinking and philandering and, and Indian killing. And over the years, uh, during the period of gold rush and, and forward, uh, the Yurok tribe was, of course, devastated. Our worldview, our paradigm was literally turned upside down. Uh, and rapid acculturation was forced upon a lot of people. A lot of villages were raided and killed, and people were killed, men, women, and children, uh, randomly throughout um, the Northern California region in search of gold. And, you know, that that gold rush was by and large the first, uh, and we hear of this lately, the first man camp uh, that came to our country. Man camps have been generally associated with corporations developing pipelines and activities in, in or near Indian country where huge amounts of camps of just men would show up and the the um, the attack on native women and boys have been uh, ridiculously high, continue to be. Uh, but with the gold rush, we've experienced that man camp mentality where uh, only men came to California, unfortunately, and uh, literally pillaged and plundered our villages. And um, uh, after a period of time, uh, nobody was safe. And um, uh, we had to vacate a lot of areas. We were put on reservations, small rancherias, uh, like in throughout California. And, um, you know, we had absolutely no rights as people. Patrick's point, or Patrick, the gentleman Patrick, was um, notorious for his uh, killing of Native peoples, and uh, we thought it was time that the name of the, the park should be changed, something that was necessary. And it's been going on for several years, but more recently has received a little bit of attention by the uh, California State Parks and Recreation Commission and a formal request by the Yurok tribe uh, to uh, to bring about the name change. Chris, when did the request was submitted? The request was submitted in the last month or so, 
but we had several meetings with the, with the uh, superintendent and members of the state park. They knew it was coming for uh, years in advance, and uh, uh, it just got to a point where uh, where we could make the change. The political climate in the state, as well as in the park systems, were amenable to change, and, uh, and the tribe was was definitely encouraged to submit a request. Uh, we've got a letter out now that's uh, generating a lot of support from a lot of people across the the globe for a name change, uh, seventh generation for Indigenous peoples, which I am the uh, current president. Uh, been here for 33 years, and uh, we've just had a a couple of um, uh, international. I mean, I hate to say international because every tribe is a nation. Um, intercontinental gathering of Indigenous peoples at the uh, Patrick's Point State Park or Sumac Village, where we, where we gathered, and all of them have committed to. Uh, uh, to support a name change. So we are in the process of following up with them. As well as anybody else in the listening audience, we encourage you to send an email and put in, in, in uh, the subject column Patrick's Point Name Change. The, the email is planning at parks.ca.gov. Planning at parks.ca.gov. And express some concern. You know that that we need to bring about a name change, uh, and it's time. And 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 in recognition, I think of of the uh, the state parks commitment uh, to redress issues of um, exploitation, violence, brutality, and discrimination. They are taking some good steps, and we would like to encourage them to to move it forward. And keep in mind that this will be one of few state parks, one of two state parks in the whole California system that has a native name. So uh, we, uh, we encourage that to happen. We know that the state park supports your proposal to change the name. They have to go through the process. And is this because of the go- governor's apology? And if so, the part of the executive order in 1519, which is the Executive Department say California apology for the genocide. It said one of the whereas is it said the state of California and California Native Americans have never jointly formally examined or documented their relationship for the express purpose of acknowledging and accounting for historic wrongs committed by the state of California toward California Native Americans. Now is this is this besides the name change What's so important about what you just read about the the whereases within the apology? Has the governor apologized for not only the Yorks around the area, but other tribes you mentioned before? And if and if so, is this tied to it? Is this ties because one of the reasons about making some form of and I'll say this some form of amends? I I think it's definitely linked to it, uh, Marcus. You know, I I, uh, I would think an apology is far from what we need. Is not enough. That we need some land back, and we need some uh, some recognition, some some things like this name change, something that will put some some uh, real meat into the um, resolution that he's talking about. Uh, it's not just an apologize, but here's something else. Now, a name change doesn't bring about a return of the parks to the tribe, which is ultimately the goal, or, or co-management of the park with the tribe, which is essential. Uh, I think we can do that with the village with no problem. In other places, 
along uh, the coast that's within in, in Yurok territory, ancestral territory, but also other places in California that has uh, that is is uh, that can be co-managed or owned by tribes in that area. And I think this is this name change thing is in uh, a logical step to his administration, definitely. But you know the thirty thirty plan of the president and the governor. You know thirty percent of California lands will be set aside by two thousand thirty for uh, uh, management purposes, for better management, ecological and 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 habitat management. And and I I would see the next step in in Sumig State Park is joint management, in which which we're definitely interested. But other places, just acquisition of for tribal management, you know, and not necessarily uh, 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 tribal management per se, but putting the land back into trust relationship uh, with the tribe and where tribes control the land, uh, and that would be a better step. Uh, and ultimately taking it off California's tax roll, but putting it into management places. By and large, indigenous peoples inhabit throughout the world 80% of the lands that biodiversity is still rich and alive. Only in recent years when the encroachment of non-Indians started to happen that we see a, a, a downfall of that level of biodiversity. Uh, so you know, I think the the biodiversity that's been preserved in native uh, in native communities is a conscious decision. It's an intellectual decision that they make that's based on on centuries of of living in right relationship with the land, culturally uh, decisions that are made based on their their cultural belief systems, their philosophy, their their um, their their paradigm, and uh, and I think that's that is the only way we can find some redress to this long term climate change. Chris, it reminds me of when talking to different Native leaders like yourself and we're just trying to explain the notion of what is the popular terminology is indigenous spatiality about not only within the name but the history, the purpose, the philosophy, the morality, the essential aspects of a, of a earth-based peoples that you always state within talking with you. Why don't you unpack that a little bit more for us about this notion of indigenous spatiality, indigenous space, as Native people look at it from from your perspective? Definitely. You know, most Native communities, and certainly uh, those within Northern California, adhere to a philosophical, a spiritual philosophical commitment around uh, restoring an ecosystem. Uh, a world renewal ceremonies and earth healing ceremonies, and each year we 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 dedicate uh, a minimum of ten days of just dancing uh, for each of the ceremonies, a earth healing and an earth renewal ceremony. But the preparation and uh, the the actually putting on the ceremony takes probably thirty to forty days, and that we pray and we dance for uh, the healing of the earth and the renewing of all life, all life forms on Earth. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Chris Peters, president of the 7th Generation Fund on reclaiming and renaming a call to action for the California State Parks to rename Patrick Point State Park to Sumig State Park in the heart of the Yurok Nation in Northern California. And now back to the interview. And, and it's not done just for 
are people that are doing it, but it's done for the whole world. And that's, that's the uh, importance of uh, maintaining a, a relationship, a spatial relationship with place, culture, land, communities, uh, you know, and, and how we define uh, that relationship is, is important. You know, adherence to it by the, um, the newly arriving uh, Euro-American population. And, you know, I think in terms of a lot of the conversation around um, uh, spatial preservation and, and uh, uh, climate change is the issue of how do we deal with, with uh, <clears throat> the, the uh, invasive species that come and colonize and destroy existing species. Well, that's what we see, that's what we have observed with non-native populations coming into our territory. They colonize us, they rename uh, the place with their history and their idealism uh, and their philosophy and destroy and ours completely. You know, and I think um, more going back to what what the original tent of the, the land is useful and, and our belief system, which has existed for thousands and thousands of years, are more friendly to the earth than uh, the colonizers' capitalism that has recently come to the, the, this area. And I think that's, that's the crux of the situation that we're dealing with today, not only um, with the name change here is setting the process forward, but with how do we redress the, the coming uh, chaos around uh, climate change, floods, fires, and, and to a certain extent, the, the um, uh, pandemic that we're dealing with. You know, everything that, that we see uh, has a, human, a non-Indigenous human tie to it. Chris, um, I was wondering, uh, in coming back to the original naming of the park, and you talked about Patrick Began, who he was, and park was uh, acquired by the state parks in the 1930s uh, or 1930. And, and I was just curious in, in terms of talking about the importance of renaming and creating uh, culturally sustainable places for the Iraq people and just in, in principle for all indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations. Does the land under colonial occupation have that legacy as it does with some of the other parks in the National Park Service where indigenous peoples were prohibited from entering those spaces and were prohibited from engaging in their right to quote-unquote religious expression or cultural practices. And, and, and if so, um, could you speak to that and why the, this process of reclaiming and renaming what has been known as Patrick's Point State Park back to Sumac State Park? Well, thanks for the question. I think it's important to look at uh, the, the, uh, the renaming process of State Park uh, to uh, a um, uh, an Indian-oriented place, spatial names, as Marcus had talked about, uh, is an extremely important step, first step, in, in reclaiming areas throughout California because most Native peoples uh, weren't regarded as, uh, as human beings, for one, initially, and, uh, and later uh, were prevented from exercising uh, their... Uh, 
freedom to express of expression, religious freedom, the ceremonies, the traditions, until 1978, when a law was passed by the state, by the by the federal government, uh, uh, setting forth criteria to allow us access to places again. That was was uh, again uh, reissued in a, a presidential um, uh, a directive mandating his 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 um, uh, departments to allow access to sacred lands. You know, we haven't had access to sacred lands uh, historically. And I'm and and we still have a lot of uh, issues to clarify with regard to to sacred places on the outside of reservations, but certainly uh, we need to uh, to take care of that step at a time. You know, and I think um, uh, it will set a precedent for other places because there are other uh, national parks, state parks, and other privately owned lands that are located within fee patent lands throughout the state uh, that tribes can be actively involved in reclaiming uh, either either a joint management relationship or a, a uh, an acquisition for that particular land and 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 I think the the uh, the state is recognizing the issue around the 3030 plan of acquiring 30 percent of the lands and and we contend that the best management style is indigenous people's management style. Mm. And we, we're pushing that pretty aggressively. One of the things that I've been to Patrick's Point and the Seven Generation Fund for Indigenous Peoples have, have many youth conferences there, ceremonies, and so on and so forth. And somebody can uh, visit the website, the California State Department and Parks and Recreation, about um, looking at the Patrick's Point and the name change to Sumic State Park. And this coming September the 28th is the um, the Parks Department want a feedback for this. And so I just wanted to underscore that so people can um, understand that they want a some feedback about this name change. But because I've been there, it's a beautiful area. I mean, I fell in love with the area. And um, it's the middle of the redwoods, the middle of the coast area. Everything a person would want is, is a special, sacred place, like you said. To you personally, what makes it so? What makes it so wonderful? You know, I think it's the the history of ceremonial influenced and and indigenous management, so-called management of a region that has preserved its beauty. You know, preserved its uniqueness, uh, and you know the aggressiveness of the non-native people coming in you know i'm 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 to a certain extent divided with thankfulness and 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 uh uh repulsiveness of land set aside for the state or the federal government you know like redwood national park which is within our our territory too if the park wasn't established then the timber fallers would have cut everything you know the greed that that was motivated by uh, by capitalism in Northern California. They would have cut all of the redwoods. We would have nothing in, unless there was a state park. So in that way, I'm I'm thankful for them. But on the other hand, you know I'm 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 angered by the need to do that. You know to to uh, set land aside. Uh, like with this this situation, we've got a long ways to go. The renaming of the state park are, are, is essential. Is, is critical to the step, uh, but we're looking, you know, and we certainly have a little bit of control over the village area, but for the vast 
majority of the the park, uh, uh, it's still Patrick's Point. Once the renaming happens, we we hope to look at some co-management, some more employment of Native peoples in in key positions there. And and Marcus, I I, I appreciate your uh, mentioning uh, uh, the the beauty of the area, and I know very well that that you were uh, you visited the area a couple of times and and once during ceremony, which is which is great. We have been able to do ceremony in in the village area for a long time. We have no control over it, unfortunately, and this will give us a little more control. And Chris, is there any opposition right now uh, that to the name change? I know there's a lot of individuals that might say, "Well, you know, what do these people want? You know, is it any good enough that we let them live? You know, in that crude <laughs> fashion? You yeah. know, I mean, no, no, it's it's out there. I just wanted to put it out. Is there is there a type of you know of, of reaction to this you know it's hard to say you know the city of trinidad we were involved in in in, in a couple of different actions here uh, very successful one is the relocation of a a uh, what they called a lighthouse which was not functioning uh, off of a ceremonial place a native gravesite into another area the city of trinidad opposed our opposition of that and, and requirement to move it uh, to the point of, of uh, meetings and, and just uh, some terrible press and all of that stuff. I mean, we, I was literally chased down by uh, uh, a conservative radio host uh, asking to, uh, uh, to, to comment on it. Uh, we also removed the statue of McKinley from the uh, center of Arcata uh, Plaza. And McKinley in, in, in terms of his history, uh, was a notorious person for killing of indigenous peoples in, uh, in, in Hawaii and the Pacific. And uh, how, we, how we did it was just uh, uh, repeated meetings and, and protests and demands, and they finally moved it. Nobody at this point will acknowledge the fact that, that they don't recall what was in the center of the, pl- uh, of the, the plaza. <laughs> You know, Patrick's point was nothing to them, but they still were, were arguing to fight it. So I anticipate some problems here. You know, uh, when we were when we were uh, uh, moving some state legislation for enhancing uh, uh, the coastal zones' uh, authority to to deal with state parks, we had on one side clear out the door lined up of all of the utility companies who didn't want us to make anything sacred. And, and I expect a certain amount of feedback from utility companies or some, some conservative right uh, uh, folks would definitely oppose it. No, nobody has any said, said anything there. In hearing you talk about um, the removal of the statue of McKinley, I was just thinking about the, the power of regulating space and, and how statues in public spaces um, can be harming, harming um, in the same way we might think of sports mas- mascots. Um, so now I think about the renaming of Patrick's Point and that idea of restoring Patrick's Point to its original name. And, and the beauty of that. And I was wondering if your comments on that. And then uh, for those of us who haven't had the honor and the privilege to be there, um, maybe uh, give us a sense of that kind of beauty that's there uh, at Sumic. Great. Well, thank you. You know, I think the, the uh, reclaiming of space is essential. Uh, the reorientation of how people look at and think about space. 
you know, if all of the spaces were named after uh, Confederate governors or, or notorious Indian killers, once we mention the names, that immediately has been uh, recalled. It triggers a lot of thought, a lot of memory, and a lot of action that uh, Native peoples uh, have lived through over the years. Uh, and I think uh, the renaming of place is key to reclaiming a, a, uh, a place-based relationship to land. You know, the, uh, right now, if, if a place was called uh, uh, Chureawa for years and years and years, I mean centuries, and now, uh, and, and that immediately inspires people to think about certain uh, historic and, and cultural significance to the area, and now to renaming it Trinidad Point, uh, and, and, you know, it, it inspires nothing. In, in tradition and, and belief system. So certainly I think the, the names and what they may trigger will definitely have an impact and an impact on how people relate to lands, uh, and which is critical. Do we hate the land? Do we hate the name? Do we hate the place? Uh, or do we love the place? All of that is, is embodied in it. And I think um, uh, over the years, uh, Sioux Mig Village, and, and let me review the, the spelling here again, Sioux, S-U-E, M-E-G, is what we're proposing the state park to be named uh, now. Because Sioux Mig, Sioux, S-U-E, is, is a literal translation. It's a, fun, it's a phonetical, people can say it easy. Uh, Sioux, S-U-M-E-G, is, is the village name, and it will continue to be the village name. Uh, and, and, and that may be a little more difficult. I don't know if it is. We're used to it. But um, uh, for phonetical purposes, they, they wanted the name Sioux uh, Mig Village, or Sioux Mig State Park. Uh, so your letters should be sent to uh, State Park mentioning the name change, but also using S-U-E-M-E-G, Sioux Mig State Park. Um, it's a beautiful place. You know, it's it's historic place. It's a beautiful place. A lot of up until uh, recently, native peoples were charged to get into uh, eight dollars a carload or eight dollars a piece to to uh, to get into to visit. And and keep in mind, there are sacred places within Sumig, uh, within the park system that we needed to access. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Chris Peters, president of the Seventh Generation Fund on reclaiming and renaming a call to action for the California State Parks to rename Patrick Point State Park to Sumig State Park in the heart of the Yurok Nation in Northern California. And now back to the interview. And uh, they're, they're, the village is pristine. A lot of a lot of the uh, Hollywood movies were were used to uh, uh, to use portion of the park to document or to to uh, uh, to film certain scenes, which is great. You know, it's it's been used historically uh, as that, and uh, and I would see onto the future as as under traditional native management that would be key. Keeping it pristine, keeping it beautiful is essential, and it is key. Uh, to uh, uh, that relationship that Native peoples have with it. Uh, historically, you know, it has um, it is cited in a lot of our our uh, uh, stories, our legends, and our mythology uh, for uh, Yurok people. You know, the the uh, the place 
along the ocean uh, there was definitely incorporated into uh, stories historically. Uh, the only place where Red Abelonia is, is found in, in that region. So many different significant places were used. Um, the three ceremonial rocks in the field there uh, uh, are medicine people, and, and I think we need to be looking at that. People need to be educated to it. And keep in mind that a village is a place for human people to, to live. A park is some place to recreate and play. You know, and if we look at uh, having the name change uh, that would indicate that, hey, this is a place where people live and um, that they thrive and they grow from uh, is, is such more important than a place where they come and recreate camp. And th there's a responsibility, an ethical responsibility tied to that, that, uh, that concept. And I think we need to use it as best we can. And finally, Chris, what do you want people to do? Um, how can people support it, and what are you looking for? Well, definitely a letter of support. You know, a letter uh, submitted to the California State Park and Recreation Commission, Post Office Box Four, excuse me, Post Office Box Nine Four Two Eight Nine Six, Sacramento, California, Nine Four Two Nine Six, or they could email it to planning at parks.ca.gov, planning at parks.ca.gov, and put in the, the uh, subject line, uh, Patrick's Point Name Change. And uh, if you want to see examples of a letter that we submitted, we'd be glad to uh, send it to you, or Marcus has definitely a, has a copy of it. And uh, we can make that available and, and give people the authority to use any portion of our, our letter uh, to, to write your own. But uh, if you have an organizational letterhead, that even helps better. Uh, but certainly uh, uh, we need some action. We need, to take, uh, we need to show support for this name change as broadly as we can. So planning at parks.ca.gov and put in that Patrick's point and uh, that will get us all get a tremendous amount of, of help. And that was Chris Peters, president of the Seventh Generation Fund, speaking on reclaiming, renaming, and a call to action to rename Patrick Point State Park to Sumac State Park in the heart of the Yurok Nation in Northern California. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Brown skin, brown eyes, dark brown hair Thick braids to the waist, hard not to stand Shake that rattle, stomp, stomp your feet I could watch you all day as you do your thing You're my bird singer, hey yeah You're my bird singer, hey yeah, you're my bird singer Bandana around your forehead Tied right above the back of your neck Pants creased up, cuffed at the end Shoes freshly clean, sporting a Kelly tee Shake that rattle, stomp, stomp your feet 
I could watch you all day as you do your thing. You're my bird singer. Hey, yeah, you're my bird singer. Hey, yeah, you're my bird singer. That bandana was in your back pocket. Now it's in my hand I'm calling you out Honey, darling, let's dance I'll be taking you home to be my man Till then, shake that rattle Stomp, stomp your feet I could watch you all day as you do your thing You're my bird singer Hey, yeah, 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 you're my bird Singer, hey, yeah, you're my bird Singer, hey, yeah, Young children, all you know Tell them the stories, watch them all grow Give them the reasons to never let go Dishing is why we are still here Practice your ways, keep it alive your own language, never goodbye. Walk the red road, keep your head high. Sing a good song, sing a bird song. Sing a good song, sing a bird song. Than gold. Govern yourselves, don't let go. Sovereignty's more precious than gold. Govern yourselves, don't let go. The songs Bird Singer by Jessa Calderon and Tracy Lee Nelson, the song Sovereignty, here on American Indian Airwaves. In the final segment of today's program, we go to the heart of the Tongva, Gabarino, and surrounding California indigenous nations as I speak with Marcos Aguilar, co-founder and executive director of Academia Salmelius del Pueblo and head of the school at Anahuacameca International University on the future of indigenous education within the area. The school has been a foundation of community service for more than two decades and was recently featured 
in ABC's Soul of a Nation presents Corazon de America, Preserving Identity. This is Marcos Aguilar on the future of Indigenous education. Thank you very much for the invitation and the opportunity to talk about Anahuacalmecac and, and just in general promote uh, and, and advocate for for more Indigenous education and, and education that, that is, is uh, designed to uplift Indigenous students. Um, I mean, we were honored to be included and approached by, by uh, Peter Bratt and, and Benjamin Bratt uh, was a producer of this project as well with ABC. Uh, but we were also distrustful, you know, of the of the invitation, not necessarily because it was from Peter, but because it was from ABC. <laughs> and, and you know, our history goes back to 2006 being targeted by local radio station KABC, yeah. uh, which brought on an onslaught of hate and, and, uh, and a long-term strategy to shut down the school, to demonize our leadership, including myself. Yeah. And to and to put our children in harm's way, which in, included, you know, uh, bomb threats and and uh, other threats of violence, uh, including, um, you know, active uh, vigilante surveillance. I think. And then what what people don't know, uh, because it was 2006, and this was, you know, at the time when people were barely, you know, using flip phones to text message each other, and and uh, and and social media was a pretty restricted venue uh, for most people that uh, this led to a decade of attacks to try to shut down the school, up to and including uh, uh, an order to shut down by LAUSD, which we had to appeal to the county office of education. The, one of the board members there famously uh, questioned my American citizenship at the dais, from the dais, uh, and asked if we taught American history, which of course <laughs> we were able to respond to both affirmatively, but the fact that that was a part of the evaluation of our school and our school leadership was unconscionable. And the fact that the district's policy required that petitioners in the charter be U.S. citizens uh, because it, it required the inclusion of a social security number. And in that case, we appealed all the way to Sacramento and were successful. And, and, and I think that we overcame that, that hurdle. But certainly in, in celebrating uh, the inclusion of this uh, in this story, in 2021, uh, we're conscious of the fact and the impact that media has, and and I think on the other hand, we want to we want to look for the way that media can positively impact uh, and and benefit our community and our school and our, our organization, and really change the mind frame and the the even the ecosystem that our children and our students and our families have to navigate within uh, in the Alley County area. Um, and the challenges that it, that present themselves with being an indigenous student, with being an American Indian student in a school that, you know, may range from thinking that you've all disappeared to mocking you for having long hair and a braid to, uh, you know, pretending to celebrate you with some sort of food flags and festival event that is, is awkwardly designed to include Indian people. You know, and we're, we're far from... In California, we're far from being at a place that's comfortable with dealing with the history of genocide and the consequences uh, and the impacts of, of that. And there's still a lot of ways to go to really even grapple with the ideas about relationships to land of the land-based tribes and relationships to the continent and the migration of, of uh, indigenous peoples from across the hemisphere living in Los Angeles. 
in listening to you, I remember Marcus and I actually covered that story, um, you know, regarding uh, ABC uh, at the time. And, you know, and, and you, you alluded to it, you know, uh, was saying, you know, this is before people text messaged and whatnot, that, you know, media uh, radio was a more powerful media uh, back then. And so that kind of media coverage was certainly amplified in the media scape. And, and when you're talking about um, the experiences that indigenous children can have in compulsory education in the public school system, you know, there's also the idea of the content of what is taught and what is not taught, but what is taught can be, you know, traumatizing for, for Native students. And, and so I know the school provides an alternative education, if you will, that addresses uh, those uh, epistemic violence uh, of compulsory public education. And just maybe your thoughts on that. Yeah, I've worked to to really try to distinguish what about schooling is is harmful to to indigenous students and you know obviously we could say that there's there's so much but it, right. it's still you know we know that uh, you know it, we 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 may be talking about land back in these forums but in reality i would say most indian kids wanted the right to be a quarterback you know more than a land back uh, activist or protector and you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Marcos Aguilar. He's head of the school at at Anawakamaka International University in Los Angeles, California. We're speaking on the future of indigenous education. And now back to the interview. Um, and and that you know it it should have its place to to be able to engage in youth sports and be free to do so and enjoy you know the los angeles what los angeles has to offer everybody else but when it comes to schooling and and we connect the dots with the impact and legacy of residential schools of boarding schools of the impact of forced relocation and of the impact of uh, the impact on on indigenous peoples from mexico and central america through war and 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 the long history that we have of migration as well i'm concerned and, and in our school model we're concerned with providing an alternative that is an antithesis of assimilation, that is a contradiction to colonization, and that is a sanctuary from compulsory government schooling that alienates indigenous children from their own culture and language. The reason why the United Nations and the American government have acknowledged that indigenous languages of American Indian tribes are subject to, to, um, to disappearing is not because uh, the tribes are disappearing, but it's because the, the, the educational systems that have been in place for a century now or longer have worked to actively disappear those languages and peoples and identities and, and to so many different ways try to disband people and disappear people. And, and we now have an educational policy at a federal level that recognizes the unique uh, cultural and linguistic uh, qualities of American Indian children in the United States, but we don't have educational programs that actually provide unique educational curriculum and opportunities to learn those languages and, and, and to be immersed in culture in a way that isn't, uh, that, that is connected to a nation building and, and is connected to tribal identity and to origins and, and, 
And so we still have this contradiction. And in Los Angeles, with the fact that there are, you know, reportedly hundreds of thousands of American Indian and, you know, probably upwards of millions of, of indigenous peoples from Mexico and Central America, you know, we have to face the fact that Anahuacalmecac is the only school that, that teaches any indigenous language at all in all of L.A. County as a part of their core curriculum and as a part of our A through G college pathway. We're the only school in the entire county, and we're probably one of the very few schools in the entire state, and that's wrong. And so, so I think that understanding that, that we are not Hispanic, since this was part of a Hispanic Heritage Month, was part of the invitation from Peter Bratt to include us is to be able to see and hear us say we are not Hispanic, we are not Latinos, we are not Latinx, we are indigenous peoples of many national origins with distinct political and cultural identities. And those identities do not stop at the border. In talking about the work that you and the school are doing and providing this sanctuary space for indigenous cultural learning and how it's uniquely different compared to, say, the public school system, is that one of the things with the public school systems that we've seen over the years is the systemic violence perpetuated against indigenous students. So I'm thinking of, you know, in the context of compulsory education, that Native students and and even Black students in states like Minnesota, where they are disproportionately uh, suspended, they are disproportionately uh, retaliated against for allegedly violating, you know, some type of school policy. And I was wondering if maybe you could speak to that and the work that the school is doing and why it's such an important space for learning. Well, yeah, I mean, Anahuacalmecac offers the exact opposite, that, that we're able to create an environment which is supportive of and, and seeks conflict resolution in community building and seeks a way for us to be inclusive from the get-go of families and of student voice and of teacher voice and teacher participation and leadership in the curriculum design, mm-hmm. uh, which shouldn't be taken for granted in this whole process of, of how we how we indigenize education. I know that uh, because of our research with partners uh, as well, such as California Native Vote Project, I know that our and the ACLU I know that the the statistics in the state of California are just as bad or worse, in fact, for American Indian students, especially in other parts of the state. Not so much in LAUSD, per se, with regards to suspension and expulsion rates, but what's happening in LAUSD and in LA County is that Indigenous children are being disappeared. By that, I mean they're not even being counted. They're not being identified. They're not being sought. They are not being included. And in the statistics, they're being merged with Latino, Hispanic identities. They're being lost in other categories. They're not being, uh, for example, there is currently no data that we could find, and we hope to be publishing a report on this data pretty soon in terms of a call to action for language rights for indigenous peoples. But there is no current data that indicates in a, a real perspective of how many indigenous children speak an indigenous language, have an indigenous home language, or have a family heritage that includes an indigenous language. Nobody is counting that, nobody knows, and nobody is addressing that outside of Anahuacalmecac and our tribal partners that are providing tribal language courses like the Tataviam Nation and, and other folks in, in the county area, but nobody within the education and the school systems. And that is horrendous because 
we're going to be celebrating the, the commencement of the decade of indigenous languages internationally as declared by the United Nations. And yet Los Angeles, as multilingual as everybody in the world knows we are, as multilingual as we all experience, where we can go to a restaurant in, in Koreatown and hear Korean, Farsi, and Zapoteco all in the same restaurant. We, we do not know how many of those children's rights to education in their language is being violated or, or being offered. I mean, we know they're not being offered. So I think that, that the question of language is important. The question of um, supporting political identity as tribal members and as, and as community members of, in, of sovereign indigenous peoples, be they from Mexico or Central America or South America, is important and not to be simply categorized in as an immigrant category, but to recognize original peoples from childhood on as a right of children, that we have as a right of children, according to the United Nations, to nation, right? We have a right to our name. Children have a right to their name. They have a right to a nation. They have a right to live. And these are things that should be considered standard, but they're not when they're disappeared in the educational system. Well, if if uh, indigenous students are being or being intentionally uh, erased in, say, LA Unified School District, couldn't one argue that well, coming back to to discipline and that and the comment that you know LA Unified looks different compared to other places, say, in the state of California, that if Indigenous students are being erased, then how do we know that Indigenous students are not disproportionately being disciplined in, say, LA Unified if they're being erased. So couldn't that be construed as a false um, uh, characterization? And if so, why or why not? But also for our listeners, where can they go to get more information about the work that you and the school are doing? Yeah, certainly. I, I think you're right that, that there are aspects of erasure that, that have yet to be truly measured within the district. What we do know is that the district is uh, failing by any measure at graduating American Indian students college ready by comparison to Anahuacalmecac and by comparison to the state as a whole. Um, and so part of our strategy to help take the best practices that we've learned over 20 years in Anahuacalmecac and be able to share that with American Indian students across the county is through two specific projects that were that were initiated in partnership with our 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 uh, existing tribal partners uh, is is one is called the American Indian Resurgence Initiative, and through this program we hope to support all American Indian high school age students on their pathways to college with a menu of services that we hope to help fund uh, in in Los Angeles County, and um, the second is with a new award that we just received to help uh, create a, a credential pathway for American Indian language and culture experts. And this is right now exclusively for California native languages. But in working with local tribes, uh, we would uh, work with the Claremont Graduate School of Education to help prepare um, uh, elders and, and knowledge holders to become teachers in the classrooms to teach language and culture so that there isn't that shortage of, well, who's going to teach these things, right? I mean, who, there's no good answer for that right now in schools. So we want to help on both ends. Um, and I would encourage people to work on, uh, I mean, to connect with us in, through um, a website that we've developed in partnership with the Gabrielino Shoshone Tribal Council, uh, indigenous peoples here, inheritors of the work and, and voice of uh, Chief Ya'ana Rocha and Manuel Rocha, 
uh, who we grew up, you know, supporting and defending the sage fields and defending tribal lands across LA County and beyond. Um, and so with their support, we're launching the Indigenous LA website, which is ndgnsla.org. Uh, we'll, we're developing a, a youth-focused uh, and centered social media platform through Mighty Networks that is also called Indigenous LA. And, um, and we'll have a menu of services to support students even beyond our school so that if you can't move and enroll in our school in Anahuacalmeca to take advantage of the K-12 Indigenous education model that we provide here, then we hope to support at least high school age students throughout the county through the American Indian Resurgence Initiative. The moment of silence is over. And that was Marcos Aguilar, co-founder and executive director of Academia Samias del Pueblo and head of the school at Analcomeca International University in Los Angeles, California, in the heart of the Tongva, Gabarino, and su- surrounding California indigenous peoples' traditional homelands. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guests, Chris Peters of the Seventh Generation Fund and Marcos Aguilar, head of the school at Anahuacomeca International University. A special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, Jessa Calderon, Tracy Lee Nelson, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. From the guilty minds, nor the hands that hold the chains. Silence is over.